Welcome to Fuck Small Talk. Before we get into today's episode, we'd just like to chat with you about a few things. First, most of the content on this podcast is our opinion, and we don't really do extensive research before the episodes. Second, you may not agree with our opinion, but that's okay. Friendly reminder that you're choosing to listen to this. You can choose not to agree. We still love you anyways. Now, without further ado, let's fuck small talk. Do you have, like, a story from, like, when you were a kid that is, like, your first memory of interacting with something that you you were confused by, but now that you're an adult, you're like, oh, it's part of, like, the, the community I was in. Yeah, like, definitely. Oh, oh, yeah, definitely. Like, do you have one of those stories that, like... Definitely, yeah. On, like, I, you want me to share it now? Or yeah, no? no, I do. So, I was 10 years old, and I was, at the, I was playing basketball with my friend, and, um... We, we went to the YMCA. So Scarborough has a YMCA location at Scarborough Town Center. And we got a, we came home because he was a good friend of mine from school. Um, somebody I grew up with literally from like when I was one years old. Oh. And we come home and it, I lived in a building. I lived in a Toronto community housing building, public housing. And the building is kind of closed off. So we couldn't enter the building because there was something going on. And we waited for about 10, 15 minutes. And then afterwards, we see the police come out with some heavy artillery. So they had, like, heavy, like, military-style guns. Oh, wow. And we're like, what's going on? What's going on? And then they took out two guys that lived in that building who were part of uh, a gang in our in our neighborhood. And they were also uh, followed by other guys with uh, heavy artillery. And they were carrying weapons that these guys had in their apartments. And so that was, like, my first kind of wake-up call. It's like, man, like, this is serious. Because that was the year that the year of the, the the summer of the gun or the year of the gun in two thousand and five where many people were murdered. Kind of like this year where there's a lot of people getting there's a lot of shootings going on in Toronto, and so to see that like to see it on the news and then to see uh, these people that I lived I lived uh, amongst and people that I used to see in the neighborhood um, that I knew were involved in gangs, uh, but I didn't really get involved because I was a kid, of course. Yeah. It was like man, like this is that's that's crazy. That was a so, phrase though, the year of the gun. The summer of the gun. I was so sheltered. Like I didn't even know my mom like didn't watch the news and she never made it like she, the conversation I used to hear in my family was oh the news is too depressing. It was like that classic like TV sitcoms would say that. And, yeah. and my parents and like neither of them talked about the news or like things that were happening in the world. No. And so I learned everything just out of books and textbooks like i did i I have no memory as a kid of news at all yeah oh yeah Yeah. in 2005 like i wasn't a baby (laughs) no no you if i i mean i was 10 and i was even like aware of some of these things so yeah it's it's, the summer of the gun is very very well known and even to this day has like a strong legacy in toronto you know what i think i have a mixed i think i have a mixed experience on that because I, uh, between you two, I'm very much in the middle. Your city is significantly smaller, Danielle, than my city, yes. which is kind of a mid-sized city. Man, you're, you, you don't live in a city, bro. You live in a small town. The city of Brantford. It's We're a town. The city of Brantford is the seat. It's the seat of Brant County. Small town. We 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 we. we, we, we I always, this all I always wrote some about this. You know what? Scarborough's a small town. How Hell no. Yeah, Scarborough's a tiny. Yeah, six hundred thousand people. Uh, Brantford? Yeah, like one hundred and ten thousand. That's a small town. Mine's, What's the problem with Scarborough? Seven hundred thousand. Seven hundred thousand people in Scarborough alone. Yeah, Scarborough's. I'm only one seventh the size of you. This is nothing. Yeah, that's big, bro. 
We'll leave this for another day. We'll leave this for another day. You don't want to accept that I'm a city lad. We're not doing this today. You are in the middle. So my point is this, is that I'm in the middle in terms of population, Scarborough versus Uxbridge. Um, big, small, and then also exposure. So you said you didn't really have exposure to that kind of news and stuff like that, and then you saw had firsthand experiences in some kind of sites and like you saw news yeah. and stuff like that. Whereas me, this stuff wasn't happening in my city, so I didn't have exposure in that sense. But my dad was an addict. Like he'd come home, first thing he'd flip on his oh. CNN and watch the news. So there's always some sort of news on TV. I wasn't fully exposed to it in the sense that my mom would be like, hey, like. Your son's four. Turn it off. <laughs> like, what's wrong with yeah. you? Where they'd be shooting, showing like a mass shooting or something like that, and be like, "Yeah, like you got to go to bed," kind of deal. But I was very much in the middle of exposure, so I knew what these things that were happening were. I knew that these issues existed, but I didn't have any experience with them. I wasn't exposed to them, and I really think I never know how to start these things. And I really think uh, that's a good place to start. Is what is yeah you, yours and mine because I think it's very different uh, from other people's. What is Danny? What is yours and what is my? Um, you a me a exposure <laughs> to uh, we haven't necessarily been exposed to the same kinds of situations the same kinds of things um, in terms of in terms of violence in terms of um, police encounters in terms of of guns and in terms of a lot of of the socioeconomic issues that kind of plague some of the bigger cities but I did I did a co-op term in Los Angeles and so I'm not saying that's representative of anything but it allowed me the opportunity to live in and experience a big city for a different time. And I did have my first encounter with police, which I think is worthwhile sharing. And mm. um, it was it was one that I wasn't expecting to happen since it happened at 4 a.m. I was wearing nothing boxers with too many holes in them that my girlfriend has since made me throw out. <laughs> they look real bad. I look homeless. It's fine. I'm fine. We're fine. No, but so my first experience uh, happened with police happened with the LAPD. It was 4 a.m. the day before I was giving a presentation to the CEO and the entire board. So I was... I was trying to get some good sleep. My friend uh, was visiting, and he was in our room as well. And uh, I heard a knock on the door, and it was it was a very aggressive knock. And, and two weeks before this, there was a protest about police brutality after, um, unfortunately, yet another young African-American man had been murdered. And so tensions with, between police and, and the population were kind of high, especially in, like in the Los Angeles area at the time. And so I, it's 4 a.m., I hear this knock, and it's, police, open up. And I'm like... We're all groggy. Nobody else seems to be even bothered by this. The other two dudes are sleeping. So I get up and I go to the door and it's just two police officers that for some reason are very tall. I was like, <laughs> maybe I was my tired, but I was like, you guys are both 6'8". Like this ain't right. And so they're like, can you step out? And I'm like, I just kind of look at what I'm wearing. I'm like, yeah, whatever. And I was like, what's going on? He's like, I'll explain everything in a minute. Can you just put your hands up on the wall? I'm going to pat you down. And I, I kind of was going to be like, pat me down. I'm wearing nothing. But I was like, I'm not playing games. I'm not, like, I don't want any problems. So I was like, yeah, whatever. Still fully, un- like half asleep, not sure what's happening. So I put my hands up on the wall and they're patting me down. And that's like in the middle of the pat down is when I kind of came to fully. And I was like, holy shit, I'm being patted down by police outside my apartment, by the LAPD. And you have no idea I have why. no idea what's happening. And I'm like, I'm aware of who's in my bedroom, like in my, in my apartment. And it's me, a Muslim man, and then a, a Filipino dude. So just just a lot of people of color in that room. And I was very aware that both these police officers were, were white. And I bring that up because of the racial tensions at the time. And so At the time. Well, just ongoing, I think. Yeah, ongoing, we can say ongoing. Ongoing racial tensions. And so I like it occurred to me as he was patting me down, like I just came to and I was like, holy shit, I really don't know what's going to happen. Like, did I do something? I'm thinking of all the things. I'm going through everything that I've done over the past little while. Next thing I know, he's pulling my... My arms are above my head on the wall. Next thing I know, he's pulling my arms down. And my arm... I'm handcuffed behind me. Holy and, shit. And they're very tight. And, uh, and, then he was, and then 
after he has me in handcuffs and sitting on the floor of the hallway in my room, he's like, we got reports of somebody yelling for help from your apartment. Are you, are you vocally freaking out at this point, or are you no, completely I'm, silent? I'm very stoic. Like okay. when I when I freak out uh, in general, like it's not it's not on my face, it's not my body language. If I do, it's just in my head, and then I I kind of try to get my grip on myself real quick. Do you have stress sweats? I do. I was dripping sweat. You're welcome for that visual. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so I'm just sitting on the floor in the hallway, and this guy's talking. He's like, "Yeah, we heard we have reports of somebody calling for help from your apartment. What's been going on here tonight?" I was like, nothing. We've been sleeping. I was like, I have a presentation in the morning. He's like, any drugs? And I was like, no. And he's like, are you sure? If I go in there right now, I'll find drugs. I was like, yeah, I know you won't find drugs. And I just kept saying no to all these things. And he was getting more frantic and frantic because he was kind of, I feel like he was figuring out that like maybe this isn't the spot. But in the moment, he was getting frantic and I was getting like, okay, what's going on? And I just still didn't have answers to this. And then he started asking me about what else is in the room, the other people. Where are they? And they both pull out, like, not pull out, but they have their hands on their on their guns. Oh, my God. Ready to draw. And so they went in with the flashlights in one hand, hand on their guns, cleared the entire apartment, checked under the beds, checked and everything. And by this point, I'm sitting, I'm still handcuffed. I'm the only one handcuffed. The other two guys, they got up and brought out here, not handcuffed. I'm the only one handcuffed. And the three of us are just sitting. And Are they freaking out, like, asking you stuff? Yeah, they were just panicking, asking me questions. Guys, look. And I'm, like, showing them the handcuffs. And that was my that was like my first experience. And then they come out and they told us what was happening is that they heard that somebody was calling for help and they asked if we heard anything through the night. And before we went to bed, we had heard something. We heard a thud from upstairs. And so what the it was it was a good ending to the story. What the ending was that an elderly woman lived above us and she had fallen and like off her bed and broken her hip and couldn't move. And she was trying, she was reaching for her window trying to call up the window for help, but mm-hmm. she's in pain. And so it had been a couple hours, obviously, but somebody in the courtyard heard it and called it in, thought it was our room. So eventually they figured it out, went upstairs, got the lady the help she needed. But that was my real first, that was the first time I've ever been in handcuffs outside of, um, for real. <laughs> no, that was the first time I've ever been in handcuffs. <laughs> uh, having heard about other encounters before, it's so interesting the difference in thought processes that I was having versus the differences in thought process that um, some of the people I've talked to have had. I just thought like in that. What, sorry, I have to ask in what way? In, at no point during that interaction was the thoughts this could be the end for me or or like ah. I could I my my well-being is in danger at no point during this process was I scared for my well-being which I think is really interesting I think it has a lot to do with me not having a police encounter before me being raised in a smaller town where people know the police officers like I I remember um, in high school, I would see the the police officer from my high school out and about. Like I even ran into him on a, when he was on, on a patrol thing one time, and he was really chill about it. And maybe being in some areas where he shouldn't have been, he was like, "Yeah, like he was he was also the coach for the football team." He was like, "Go back home. Like don't like don't make me do anything." And I was like, "All right." So we just left, and then it was very chill up until that point. And I'd never had um, kind of the experience where I'm like, "Hey, like I'm in danger," or maybe and the key there is that I'd done something wrong in that encounter with the police in Brantford. I had done something wrong, and I still didn't feel like I was in danger. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think that's a very interesting. Uh, have you have you? I've been talking for a while. Well, I was I was gonna actually ask Mike something, but then I want to give you a chance to introduce yourself yeah. before we actually go on. And I just address the stranger Mike in the room. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, do you want to let us know how you know us? Sure. All right. So, anybody who's listening to this, my name is Michael. I'm a Shay's friend, so I I actually I actually knew a Shay. Before I guess I'm both your friends actually. Let me let me let me correct Thanks, myself. Mike. Danielle, yeah, yeah, you're Thanks. my friend too. Um, although I don't think we're Facebook official, so uh, oh yeah. no, yeah, but make that happen exactly. Ashay, we met um before he, we're in the same program, and we met um in the first week of 
training camp for soccer. So we both tried out for the soccer team at our school in uh, first oh, year. Yeah, and you do that. Yeah, so basically the, the story... The of my existence. The, the, basically the story is this. We both tried out for the team. I made the team. <laughs> and Ashay was supposed to make the team. But they confused him for another brown guy. And afterwards, they couldn't get his contact info to bring him back to the team. So And like oh! the, brown guy, the brown guy they confused me for... Like the guy couldn't run a lap. Like yeah, he was yeah. very oh, clear. Yeah. So the day the day after the team was made, um, we had a practice, and I think we played. We had an alumni game afterwards, but we had like a morning practice where we were doing fitness. And he shows up, and everybody's like, "Who is this guy? Like this guy made the team." And the guy started warming up, and then before we started the actual like practice, uh, the coach is like, "Man, like I'm sorry, but you're not the guy that we wanted." Oh, and so shit. and so yeah that's 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 my uh that's my first encounter <laughs> with the shay i mean it's good that we actually found each other during the program and we actually talked to each other and first day of school he comes up to me and tells me that story i was just but, gonna yeah, say did yeah you actually i actually him? did i actually did but i, I respect didn't, you telling me i didn't have his contact info before school actually started so yeah, yeah. i couldn't really do much right at the but, time we hadn't had each other and i think the co- you said something about the coach asking you like Hey, that guy you were talking to while training camp. Do you know? Do you know yeah, this information? Yeah, like, he did. Nah. Okay. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Which I don't blame you for. Like we we weren't Facebook friends. Like, yeah, that's exactly. So bad. Yeah, but that's the that's no. Yeah. I could have been a varsity athlete. I know. Do you see how my life would have been different? So BS. Yeah, anyway. the the trajectories were were much different. You know, I I I was a five year athlete at, at at school, and a she was a. What can you say? What can you say? Shade. <laughs> sorry, man. Sorry, but I, I had to do it. I had to do it. <laughs> you had to do me dirty. Like, would you say like your life was better because of varsity? Like your sorry, your undergrad career. I mean, I don't know. I, I think um, varsity. There's, there's pros and cons to anything in life, right? And I mean, um, vers. I love playing soccer. I love competing at that level. So I, I, I think that was definitely a pro. And I made some good friends. I, I lifelong friends. Uh, some of them are like my brothers. That's amazing. But at the same time, you know. Uh, I think that it did take away from school in some sense. Uh, I definitely didn't socialize with the people in my program as much as I probably would have if I didn't play varsity because my social group was mainly from the soccer team. Like the guys that I hung out with, the guys that I lived with were mostly from the soccer team. Apart from guys like Ashay and other guys in our program um, who I I became friends with, Mm -hmm. uh, for the most part, it was just soccer guys. So I think that side of it, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe there could have been some, some better things from not playing soccer, but overall I would never, I would never take it back. It was a good time. But again, that's that's how I, that's how I, that's how I'm gonna <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too good. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I'm, I, seriously, this um, podcast is making me learn so much about you. I like either I have the worst memory, which is true, or I've never heard that story either. Really? Yeah. This possibly never heard it. Yeah, but I try to I try to tell it like I'm. I pretend like I'm not still bitter about it, <laughs> but like I'm a little bitter about it. But then to, in order to pretend I'm not bitter about it, I have to not tell the story so I can act like I'm over it. Okay. I'm not over it. It's fine. I'm fine. We're yeah, fine. It's five years, man. It's a long time to get over <laughs> things like that. Uh, the question I was going to ask you, though, is that did they have in like your high school or elementary school, did they have uh, police come in and do like educational based programs and like paint it as a positive, like was it a positive thing, like a community thing, or did it have a sense of... Uh, seriousness over it but. I'll say this I grew up in Toronto I grew up for I grew up in Scarborough um, which depending on who you are and what you think of Toronto what you think of Scarborough you know you'll 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 have some sort of an image of uh, of that place the high school that I went to before we get to elementary school the high school that I went to was um, what 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 some would call a priority school or priority high school and so priority high schools 
had, uh, I think just before the end of last school year, they had police officers deployed in them. So we had one officer, um, I think they were called a school resource officer that was at the school. I and love bullshit names. Yes, like that's, 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 what they're, that's what they were called. <laughs> and basically, they, they monitored the school. They were in uniform, the weapon, they had the bulletproof vest and everything like that. And they were there because our school had a, was, was given the profile of being at risk. And so there were some at-risk students, um, quote-unquote, who caused mischief. And that required a police with, uh, with, full, for- with full force to patrol our, our school. Um, so that's... Like, would the police officer walk around the halls and stuff? Yeah, the police, the police officer had... I believe the police officer like had... Like, gun their, in full sight and everything. Like yeah, that. the police... I believe the police officer had their own office. But, yeah, they would they would hang around, um, walk around the, the premises, uh, walk around the halls and stuff like that. So you would see them from time to time. But that's that was my experience growing up in high school. In elementary school, we did have police officers that would come into our school. Because, again, I grew up in a... what Again, what people would call a quote-unquote priority neighborhood. So we had officers that would come into our um, school, and I think they came into our school once a month. Correctly. Once a month? Yeah. Like, wow. we would have, like, we would have, like, seminars, like, workshops where the guy would just come, and he would just come and talk to us about different things. So I remember one time he talked to us about um, the incarceration and what that does for somebody if they get into the jail system, especially young men. So I remember specifically... That was the conversation. What? No, seriously, yeah. We had officers come into my elementary school one time. It was for in grade six for drug abuse resistance education. No, don't do drugs. No, it's the only time elementary school had officers in it. No, yeah. it was always drug related. At our school, there. At our school, the officer came. In elementary school, officer came a decent amount. Like he Whoa. he came once. As I was going to say, he came once to talk to us about incarceration, getting into trouble with the police, and um, I remember him saying something like, "If you, I think something along the lines of a normal person who doesn't go to jail." they have X amount of chance to earn a million dollars. And then he would say stuff like, oh, but if you go to jail, if you get into trouble with the police, then that severely, that chance to severely decreases. And, and I was like, I, I, just thinking about it now, it's kind of it's kind of, it's kind kind of of funny, right? Like telling grade seven and eight kid, year old kids that, oh, if you go to jail, uh, this is what's going to happen. When, you know, for the most part, we were just going to school and having fun with our friends. Another time he came to our, uh, our, our school to talk about sex. And talk about like uh, pregnancy and and, the and teen did pregnancy. That? Yeah, so, so that. yes. So the, the police officer came to our school and he talked about um, dancing. So like dancing at parties and stuff like that. <laughs> so he, I remember, I remember space for the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. I, I, I did go to a Catholic school, so I mean that that's a good, that's a funny joke. But um, I, I did too. So yeah, but he did come to the, he came to the school and he talked to us about um, dancing, like dancing with the girls, for example, and what that might lead to, and then. Sorry, going on it, a teen pregnancy are you remembering because you were remembering the perspective that related to you or was the language really around like men um in terms of violence and men are the ones who are dancing and have to watch out like do you remember if it was genderized like that it's not so much i don't think i'll probably say at that time i probably wouldn't have realized it mm. i mean I, I i i don't think i can say i don't i don't think i can really say if i if I, if I if I'm truly being honest, um, but I'll definitely say from my perspective, you know, the officer was a black man, and we had a lot of young black guys in our in our class that he would speak to, and so sometimes I do think that he came to our he came to us and spoke to us and would focus on some of us young black guys as opposed to you know like the Filipino guys that are the white guys that went to the that came to the um, to the school as well with us. I don't remember a place in my 
elementary school at all. Uh, I know we went to this like workshop once a year in like six, seven, and eight that was related to drugs, and there was a name for it, and my memory is completely gone. I'll have to look it up. It wasn't there. Drug it abuse might, it might have been, but I feel like it was called something different. Oh, okay. And then in high school, I don't remember anything. With the police. Nothing. That's crazy. Yeah, there was a police officer in our school every single day. Have you ever had an encounter with police outside of uh, of school? She's not trying to snitch. She's, she's not trying to snitch on. She's not trying to snitch on a white. <laughs> oh no no no! She's, no. Like, she's going through the statute of limitations. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, she's. I'm not trying to get in trouble today. The, the only sorry, Dad. Uh, the only time I ever remember police in my life was this one time. I was really young, and he had forgotten to. Um, no, it was a time. So his ex-wife, which was they were like in a separation at the time, had almost bankrupt him. And so he like couldn't afford to pay for his sticker renewal in that month. Like it's just penny pinching was happening left, right, and center. And um, he didn't know, but he had a taillight out. And so a cop pulled him over and I had never really interacted with police like ever. And so I didn't know, we didn't know the light was out. And so he immediately just starts going, don't say anything. I have no idea what's going on. And my dad, the, the parental figure, is saying, like, don't say anything. He comes and, like, knocks on the window or whatever and license and registration says, do you know that you're taillights out and whatever. And then, like, through that whole process of, like, looking it all up, realizes, like, his sticker's expired and, like, says this. And then my dad lies and says that, because he had, I think, mentioned something about the sticker before, and lies and says that his wife works at a bank and was supposed to, like, go get it done, but just forgot, and it was supposed to happen this morning. And in my, like, seven-year-old brain, or however old I was, I was like, oh, my God, my father is lying to the police. Like, I was losing it in the passenger seat, but just had to sit there because he had also yelled at me not to say anything. And so, like, that is the only story I have, and literally nothing happened. The cop didn't even give my dad a ticket. He was just like, yeah, like, get that checked out and walked away and that was the end of the interaction mm-hmm. like you were freaking out but i feel like your freak out had more to do with your my dad your dad than it did with police officer absolutely and so at the top of the episode i kind of talked about my interaction with police and how i was feeling during it and i know mike during the time that i was in the states on my co-op term you were also in the states and you had interaction do you want do you are you okay to talk about that yeah why not we'll talk about it yeah <laughs> I, you know what yeah i'm not I don't. I don't care if I snitch online, but I don't. I don't okay. know where your co-op was. Oh, so yeah. So both of uh, Shane and myself, we were in the states uh, during the what was it, 2017? And I did a lot of driving. I did a lot of driving uh, when I was in the states because where I was, yeah, there's no good public transit. There's no good city to city transit. So I was in Los um, Angeles on the West Coast. Mike yes. was more East Coast. He was in New Hampshire. I was in Manchester, Manchester New Hampshire. Hampshire. Good old Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, about 40 minutes north of Boston. And Demographically, very much not Mike. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I believe... <laughs> I, I, I haven't checked the stats lately, but I believe when I was going there, I remember reading something north of like 88% white people and like two oh, two the, and a half to 3% black people in the a, town. That's Brantford. Is Brantford it has the exact same numbers, yeah. Really? I think it's like 89% white, two, 3% black, four or 5% Indian, and then the rest is like where these, other. Where are these stats? Census. The census. The oh, census, the census and reports. online and, and whatnot, yeah. Anyways. Yeah, so um, that's 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 what it was, and um, I actually had. Uh, did you look that up before you? I did look it up beforehand. I don't know if I looked it up. I don't know if it was more so because I was like, oh man, like I'm gonna be one of the only black guys here or something like that. But when I looked it up, I didn't really 
think much of it, um, oh, to be okay. honest, because at that time I was really focused on other things and I wasn't so much engaged in a lot of the things that I'm engaged in now. And so when it when I when I saw that I was like, oh whatever, you know, like I'll just make a lot of new friends and they're probably gonna be white and they're not gonna be black and whatnot. Oh no. What what does it say there? I just, I just pulled out oh, Lux Bridge. No. And what does Lux Bridge say? Which is uh ninety seven percent white and not e- like there's not even a percentage to, to say any significant number. Total visible minority, which is the rest of it, is two point three. And the other point seven say? is First Nations and Metis. What can you say? I mean that's that's what it is. If it's not if it's not a city, that's you're gonna see numbers like that. If it's not a major city, you're gonna see numbers like that. Yeah. Um and sorry, I keep interrupting yeah, you. No, no, it's okay, it's I just okay. Saw the number. No, it's 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 definitely an interesting thing to talk about. I, I did get into a little bit of a run in with the police. Um I don't, I don't know if I'll necessarily call it a run in, but anyways, you can be the judge of that. You're driving. I was driving. Yes, I was out. It was after driving twelve hours to go watch uh, Toronto FC with my friend. We went to nice. I, uh, we went to Columbus. So my friend was in Toronto, and he drove from Toronto to Columbus, which is about six hours. But I drove from Manchester to Columbus, which is about twelve hours, thirteen hours, and I drove throughout the night. And I stayed. And I stayed up all day. Yeah, he flew to Mexico to see them play. That's another story for another day. That's another story for another day. But he's a diehard TFC fan. Okay, so it explains it. Yeah, it explains it. Gotcha. And um, yeah, I was coming home right after saying goodbye to my friend, and I, I was, I was trying to get home because it was Easter weekend, so I wanted to get back for church service because I, I was volunteering at the church. I was doing some stuff at the church, and I needed to get back for the service the next morning, and I was driving. And about thirty minutes to forty-five minutes into my drive out of Columbus, uh, I I was I was picking up speed, and as I said, I was trying to get home for service. And I pass I pass a cop that's on the side, and I was like, oh man, like I tried to slow down, but I didn't slow down quick enough. And you know, I was the unlucky guy that got pulled over out of all the other people in the left lane that were going as fast as I was. So it was okay, but I realized I was in America. And I realized a lot of the things that were going on in America uh, in regards to police brutality against black people and whatnot. So I got really nervous. I actually got really, really nervous. And uh, long story short, I tried to get myself out of the ticket, but I didn't get myself out of the ticket. So I had to I had to pay a decent amount. And I actually remember not paying the ticket for like I, I just held off on it because I was so angry. I, was like, I don't want to pay this ticket. I don't want to pay this ticket. And one day I went home for lunch. And there was a letter from the county in, in Ohio that said, like, you got to pay this ticket or this is going to be on your record. Like, oh, this shit. is going to be like a criminal record. So I had to send them some money quickly and, and I got rid of that. But that was my that was my interaction with the police in, in America, which was which was which was quite an interesting. It was quite an interesting thing. I want to I, I want to ask you a pretty like this is going to I'm asking you to be vulnerable here. Sure. What were you like? What was going through your head? What were your thoughts and emotions when you were getting pulled over? Because you said you thought about all those tensions about police brutality and 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 the relationship between police and black and a black a young black male yeah. in America. What was going through your head? Like, were you scared? Were you nervous? Like, what was happening? Well, the first thing I was thinking was, um, I, number one, I have a rent. I have a rental car, so right off the bat, like that could be an issue for me and I, I didn't want anything to i didn't want anything to do with that would mess up my rental in terms of it looks sketchy or in terms not of- just necessarily that but in regards to like what what's gonna happen to my insurance what's gonna happen like those sorts of things there but to be quite honest with you i wasn't really thinking about the uh i think i was nervous just out of like just naturally i was just naturally nervous but i didn't necessarily think about the racial implications of, of of a police officer looking at a young black man because I was just trying to get home 
I was just trying to get home from watching a game with my friend. I was I had a good time. I just wanted to get home, and I wanted to get home for service. So I, I honestly, I was just trying to see if I could get myself out of the ticket. That was my thing. And when I realized, um, when I when I kind of saw the conduct of the police officer, I, I realized that was that wasn't gonna happen. I wanted to see proof that I was going as fast as he said I was going. Yeah. He said I was going like 189 miles per hour. I wonder. So, if oh, that's, that's fast. No. Yeah, but I wasn't. Oh, I, I, was, I, I was. Oh. I was never. I, it, Ohio 75. So that's why the traffic moves a little bit faster. Like they probably moved like eighty-five. Yes, but I was not going eighty-nine miles per hour. But they clocked. He he claims to have clocked me at eighty-nine mm. miles per hour. He never showed me. But yeah, that that kind of that kind of annoyed me. That kind of that annoyed me. Terrible. It annoys me now, especially because I've actually heard stories of people who have been in worse situations, and I, I look at a shade because we have a friend who shall not be named, who is a very 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 <laughs> fast driver. <laughs> And he had, he was in a much much worse situation. For context, our friend was in Ken- Kentucky, Ten- Kentucky, or was it Kentucky? Was either Tennessee or Kentucky? Oh, it was, okay, yeah, one of those things. It was, it was in Tennessee mm. or Kentucky. He was clocked doing one forty miles, miles per hour, hour. miles oh. miles per hour. And you should in a sixty. He was going eighty miles over the speed limit. What? He was That's more than that? doubling the speed limit, and he didn't get a ticket. So I mean, I hear stories like that. And it's like, man, like this is, it annoys me. It annoys me a lot. But you know what? At the end of the day, uh, what can you do? You have to move on, right? You have to move on. I paid my ticket. It's not on my record. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I, like how, how do you not build up that resentment? I mean, it's kind of the world we live in. I, 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 for, as for me, personally speaking, growing up, I was always, because I grew up in a pretty volatile neighborhood. I, I was always kind of conditioned that sometimes these things happen, but at the end of the day, you have to kind of you have to kind of move with it and just be better and just try to improve yourself. And I guess from to, to extend on that, that's that was my experience with just with, with the police and with with law in general. It's kind of just making sure that at the end of the day, what I, I might make a mistake, but try not to be in a situation where you can put these sort of you you can kind of put yourself in a situation where they can they can incite you for something that that, that actually happened. Mm. Um, and, and and I guess that approach has worked for me quite well. Now I'm curious, is that is that the common kind of line of thinking? Is that the common perspective from kind of the neighborhood you're from about how to how to do how the police are viewed, how those kinds of things, like not looking to do anything bad, not looking to incite the police, not looking to get on their bad side. Is that kind of the, the view or is that is that a you and your family thing? I, 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 I mean, I, I can't really speak for how other people raise their kids. Um, I definitely would say that my neighborhood, there are definitely tensions with the police. Yeah. Um, if 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 it's if it's a tension that leads to people, um, kind of conditioning their kids the way that I was conditioned, I, I I'm I'm not sure. I think that there are some parents who probably do a good job of that. At the same time, I think there are some parents who don't do who, I won't say they don't do a good job of that, but I'll say that they might not frame it or they they might frame it in a situation where. Um, it's it, it's 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 sort of like a me against them or you against us sort of situation. Mm-hmm. And, and who's the you and who's the us? The that? police versus okay. the police versus you know uh, people of color. Yeah. There's an interesting movie called Doomstown, and Doomstown came out after the Year of the Gun. So the Year of the Gun is or the Summer of the Gun. Sorry, Year of the Gun, Summer of the Gun, same thing. Uh, it was 2005 in Toronto where a lot of people were getting shot in the streets. Uh, and it, it became a big issue in the city, uh, gun violence, gang violence, all these things. And there was a movie called Doomstown that I think CTV put out, and it so talks. It's, like a documentary? It, it's not a documentary. Oh. It's a it's a it's sort of a reenactment of a neighborhood in Toronto in the West End. Uh, but basically, 
it, it kind of depicts that. And I remember one image in that movie sort of showing a young guy who actually murdered a lot of people or shot a lot of people. But his mom uh, sort of, when, when, when the police came and, and arrested him, his mom was like, oh, you can't take a young black man. You can't take a young black man. Um, he's just trying to uh, live his life. He's just trying to make his way out of here. And so I think that some parents do sort of see it like that. Some parents in the mm. some parents do sort of see well, it like that's that. That's interesting that because interesting that's interesting from a parental perspective, but also interesting from a, a socioeconomic perspective. Because as much as she's saying, like it's, I feel like it's a, it's a, a reflection on her that she's saying you can't. He's just trying to make a living for himself, mm-hmm. and, and she's not really touching on the means he's choosing to make a life exactly. for himself. But like I think it's interesting from a socioeconomic perspective that those are the means available to him to make a life for himself yeah it's again it's weird because you know when you're growing up in these neighborhoods you might not necessarily commit a crime you might not necessarily be involved in these activities but when you see how heavily policed how heavily surveilled we are you know it 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 kind of it kind of i think in some cases it might actually lead a young a young man to thinking that like hey man like I, i i i'm a criminal so i mean why not get involved well in it, it you yeah. know like you know leading into the stereotype. yeah because there are young people who are you know we, we have there's a topic of carding for example or as we were talking about well, that's, earlier that's police people poli- poli- po- um, police officers coming into schools and talking to young people about certain issues you know you kind of see the police all the time you just maybe maybe in your head you're you're, you're being treated as a criminal when you're not even a criminal can you clarify you know? for, for my and danny's sake what carding is so carding i mean what carding is from like a i guess a, a technical definition or from what it actually is what it actually is so yeah. carding but small talk okay. we're not, we're not, we're not, hey, we don't talk about technicalities okay here. so carding in my mind is a way for police to surveil who they would perceive as a criminal um so in modern day for the most part it's applied to young black men in volatile neighborhoods. So, so how do they just walk up to and ask for identification? So basically, I mean, that's pretty much it. You know, what is that supposed for, to? Um, what what is that proving? The whole thing. I, that what you're is from that neighborhood? What is it proving? I'm not sure. But <laughs> I'm glad you're just as confused. But all it is is it's in, in a way it's kind of if I'm gonna if I'm gonna uh, explain the process more or less. Let's say a young guy is walking down the street. Maybe they shouldn't be there. Maybe they should be there. Who knows? But the police are given the power to walk up to the kid or walk up to the guy, walk up to this person, ask them what they're doing, um, ask them why they're there, and if need be, ask for their identification, which is why it's important to always carry identification because if you're caught in a situation like that and you don't have it, that leads some leads some pretty you know serious ramifications. It does. Yes. Because I go out in Brantford. I, I in in what world are we not allowed to just walk on a street without? Uh, my driver's license. Yeah, sometimes I forget my license in. I, I don't. I drive sometimes when I forget my license. Shh. No snitching, guys. No if you're listening <laughs> no to this, don't snitch. No Sometimes in breakfast, sometimes I forget my license. I fully yeah. drive, and I don't have a driver's license on me, and that's okay. Like I never. That's what it is. I mean, it's 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 something that a lot of people don't really understand. I mean, me growing up in an, in an area like that, I I still don't understand it. Thankfully, I was never carded. I was yeah. never carded um, uh, in my own neighborhood, which I think is a, is a blessing because, again, when you're when you're a young guy and you're not doing anything, but you're carded and you're identified, you know, you kind of you, you grow up thinking that you might be a criminal when you're not. 
which is not it's not good uh, for young people growing up because there are certainly young people in other neighborhoods and of other um, uh, ethnicities that aren't surveilled as much as young black men in volatile neighborhoods in the inner city are. Mm-hmm. And so that's 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 what carding is. And I think I think that especially now in the Toronto context, in the Ontario context, they're talking about bringing it back. It's kind of disappointing because we've made a lot of progress taking carding out because of the fact that carding, for the most part, is not used the way that I think they intended it to be used. Yeah. I, I just, because, again, we kind of have touched on this a few times that, Ashe, you and I are from smaller towns, and so then we are removed from some of these messages or some of these themes in our upbringing. And so I'm just curious when you hear people say, because I know I've heard people say it, that like, Racism doesn't exist in Canada because the the conversation in the media is largely around racism in the mm-hmm. states, and uh, that racism doesn't exist anymore, um, or like slavery was so long ago. Why are we still talking about this? Like when when you see hear these kind of like, do you have a sort of standard reaction to I, some I, of those? I, I kind of oh, get. Man. I'll be very honest. I kind of get tired. I kind of get tired about it um, because I think that if anybody is going to make an argument that there isn't racism. It's almost like I can't really argue with you. I, I I really can't really argue with you if if you don't think that there's racism in in our nation. Whether it's it's through police force, police brutality, whether it's through socioeconomic uh, policy, whether it's through education, I, I think there's I think there still is a degree of racism um, in, in in Canada. And and I I, I don't know. For me, I, I kind of get tired because I think a lot of it is in the media, and I think a lot of it is mental gymnastics. You know, mental gymnastics mm-hmm. in that. Um, they're trying to flip the script and you often hear things like oh reverse racism now and, oh, and things like I just try not to engage in that because I, I know at the end of the day that sort of discourse isn't actually going to change anything for the better for what we need to do is to is to, is to, is to bring more equity in, in, in our nation and bring more equity in our cities uh, bring more equity in our neighborhoods yeah. because even in, even within neighborhoods there, there, there are very very interesting uh, dynamics and differences between races and between different groups of people yeah but mike oh, uh, bless his heart has found his true passion and he's immediately after finishing this master's of accounting and writing a cpa exam like a madman he's gonna take a second master's in urban planning and so mike is well educated and well read uh, i don't know if i'll say i'm well i'm still learning you always beginning, learn beginning to be oh, well read the modesty you, just you, oozing off of you you always learn hey listen, listen if you think you know everything you don't know anything you're better no, you're, he didn't say that yeah. he's, he you, said like up until the point based on your experience and based on your resources okay. yeah. you have taken the initiative to be well read to okay. this and point. more so on the uh, the topics around the socioeconomic topics surrounding urban planning than your average Joe. Because like, I, I gotta ask, like, accounting to urban planning. Like, I, I've heard sort of a version of this from Ashe, but, like, I haven't heard it directly from you. Yeah. For me, honestly, it's 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 mostly ground into personal experiences. I think after kind of reflecting on making the decision, because to be honest with you, I still kind of, I, I'm still kind of nervous about making this decision because most of our classmates, if not all, I don't know, I actually, I know one guy who's, kind of doing something similar but he's going into he's doing math i think he's doing some research with the yeah. math faculty yeah, that's correct. but for the most part everybody in our program is off to go work everybody in our program is off to go work at an accounting firm or go work for for a big multinational corporation very few people are working in the government if, if any i don't know anybody who's working in the government i know one person but for the most part people are going off to work and I've, des- I've decided to continue my education i've decided to continue my learning and as a, as she said it's something that i i, I really enjoy I think it's, it's it's grounded in my personal experience and to kind of 
round off, I guess, my, my university experience, I, I kind of realized that I had this interest all along, but I didn't really know of an outlet to kind of express it. You know, growing up in a neighborhood in Scarborough, I see, I've seen a lot of things. And I, I guess from my experience, I know a lot of things about cities that Shane would say, you know, your average Joe might not know, especially if you live in the suburbs and you live in small towns like Brantford. But that's, that's again, that's that, that we'll talk about that another day. Throw a shot in there. Eh? We'll talk about that another day. Let's take a shot at Brantford in the middle. Hey, we'll talk about that another day. But I took my first urban planning course and it was a elective. And I loved it a lot. I loved it a lot because the things, the, the topics interested me. Um, the issues that surround cities around the world, they interested me. And I realized that, hey, you know, these issues are in my backyard. You know, for example, the course that I took wasn't even on sort of cities in general. It was on uh, the concept of emerging cities and emerging cities mm. around the world, which tend to be mostly in, in the global south rather than the global north in countries like um, Western Europe and in, 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 in the United States, in Canada even. We didn't really focus on cities like New York City or LA or London or Toronto. We focused more on cities in countries such as Bangladesh or cities like Bogota in Colombia or, or African cities, for example, or Chinese cities, uh, the ones that are growing incredibly quickly. But some of the issues kind of hit me when I, I remember reading a newspaper, a local newspaper, uh, and there was an issue with a motel that was being used to house homeless people in the city of Toronto. And I was thinking to myself, you know, we're talking about gentrification. We're talking about um, housing in this in this uh, course that speaks to emerging cities. But these things happen. This, this, this motel is like down the street. I can walk to this motel and I can speak to the things that are going on at this motel. And so that's where I kind of realized that, man, like urban planning is something that I think I really want to apply my skills and knowledge from accounting and from my life in general into. But I think it took me going away to America for eight months and kind of seeing how life goes on in a different area where there are there is an incredible amount of issues in Manchester and seeing how you know Toronto has a lot of these same issues and kind of wanting to get involved. And, and, and I found urban planning would be an area where hopefully I could, I could get involved and, 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 and go to work at these issues that we have in our cities. And hopefully make them better. Because at the end of the day, I want to see I want to see cities transform. I want to see my neighborhood uh, be better. I want to see my neighborhood have sort of the stability that maybe your neighborhood Ashay had or your neighborhood Danielle had um, in regards to education, in regards to families, you know, being strong and and children being safe and 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 those sorts of things. And I think the key there is that. We, the three of us, recently watched a video where it became clear that urban planning and related policy decisions were a big factor in creating the neighborhoods to the point that they are today. Like they created a lot of the issues that exist today, yeah. urban planning and policy decisions. And I think the, the field of urban planning is one that's not known by the general public. I certainly, until you told me about it, did not know that it existed or that that's what it was. I knew socioeconomic issues existed and that people were working to address those. I didn't understand that there, there was the policy field of urban planning. And so I think it's cool that you're taking the route of like, yes, this created the issues, but it's the same field that's going to be the one to solve them. Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, when I, when, I, when I kind of got into urban planning and sort of the different areas and and just reading about a lot of different dynamics in our cities, but specifically in Toronto, I realized that urban planning has an immense effect on what we see in Toronto today. 
I think all of the issues that we can kind of look at in regards to Toronto uh, in the current day, such as gun violence, gang violence, um, these things are all, in my opinion, and the way I see the world now, a direct result of the different policies that were that that were enacted at, at city hall and by the planners and voted on by by councillors. Can you just for like really briefly, if you could, uh, like explain to us non-urban planners about the policies and the decisions you're referring to and the, situ- the situations what they've created? Well, I think one thing that you can always look at is housing. Um, okay. uh, housing, and I guess in a neighborhood, how that comes together is very important. So. Yeah. The the idea of wealth and the idea of um, generational wealth, generational wealth, wealth gaps. all these things, you know, when you live in a neighborhood where not many people are owning houses, not many people are getting into that into that wealth, and not many people have that generational. There's the, the, the generational wealth isn't being generated to 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 yeah mm-hmm. to say the least. The quickest you way to generate generational wealth is to own a home. Exactly, yeah. you have a lot of volatility. Um, in my in my view, and so in in Toronto, uh, I think one of the things is that there's if if you see especially outside of the core, especially outside of the downtown core, you tend to see that um, what we call the yellow belt. So if you if you're familiar with urban planning, you're familiar with zoning. Different areas of uh, land use are zoned or they're sort of mapped according to a certain color. And so that kind of speaks to the redlining in in the states oh, because yeah. zoning zoning I think there's there's a bit of a, a a relationship between that right and so the yellow belt in at least in Toronto's um, context is single family homes um, neighborhood homes whereas red is more of the apartment blocks or more dense housing and so one thing that I've noticed especially in Scarborough is that you tend to have these large swaths of yellow belt housing. And then you have corridors of uh, residential uh, residential housing, so high high rise uh, high rise towers. Oftentimes, there are public housing blocks and whatnot. And so you look at the map and you see that it isn't really mixed. It isn't really mixed. It's very separated. It's 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 quite separated. And so you have a concentration of people who aren't getting into this wealth generation. They aren't getting into this, the different customs and the different sort of culture that you would see in a suburban setting. And it's in it, it's, it's all it, it's, it's all in the apartment blocks. It's all centralized. In it's one all area, the apartment yeah. blocks. It's all in the in in that area. That's in the communities all around. Yeah, exactly. And so me growing up, I grew up in a public housing block, and oftentimes these public housing blocks, again, they aren't mixed. They aren't mixed income. They aren't mixed with other sorts of housing in the neighborhood, and so you have a lot of people who are low income. Oftentimes they're in situations where they're 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 on welfare or. They have chill. They have lots of children. They work long hours, so they can't get the time to be with their children, like someone who is generating wealth, and they don't have to work as much to 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 fend for their family and to fend for the future of their family. And so, oftentimes, you know, when it comes to youth growing up in these neighborhoods, they don't have the same sort of, I guess, privileges that other kids in other neighborhoods have, and that leads them to. That leads them to going into into trouble where they're trying to make money for themselves in a way that they otherwise wouldn't be able to to, to have access to without extra services that would be provided by or that should be provided by um, different institutions, but they just aren't. Mm. So if you live in an area where a lot of these public housing um, or sort of low rent affordable housing units are, and you have these different dynamics in these neighborhoods, 
you have a lot of kids who grow up and the norm is to go to kids in in, in these schools with other kids who are growing up in these struggling situations. And so that's, that's where the idea, at least in the United States, where we should integrate schools, especially when it comes to um, races, integrate uh, black students with white students and see how if that can if that can improve the social economic standard that the that the black students and their families have over time well i was i was gonna say like do you know just from your brief knowledge of urban planning so far like do you know of um urban planners trying to make radical change in cities i think i think definitely there are there are a lot of people in the planning community that are trying their best to 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 bring more equity into into our cities and I think that's that's a huge mandate um, in Toronto, especially. I, I can speak to that. I have a lot of uh, a decent amount of friends who are involved in planning, who are involved in um, sort of even policy development, really, as, as it pertains to cities. And I think yes, there is a lot of work that's being done. Uh, but at the end of the day, planners will make the decisions. Well, I was gonna say politicians like, make the decisions. Like, if we were to pick any industry for planners to partner with, like, would politics be that area that? I, I honestly, it's that's a good question because that's the reason why I am engaged in politics because I think, as I said earlier, I don't really like the the, the style of politics we have mm-hmm. in 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 um in the current day. You know, it's so divisive. It's so. It's so crazy, you know. You have to be on. You have to be on this side. You have to be on that side. And if you're not, then you're kind of crazy, which I don't like. But at the city level, at least, these are these politicians are the ones that are making the decisions on if we should have affordable. Like, what what does affordable housing mean? This the, the city council decides that. They decide the definition of that. Should this area be zoned for affordable housing? Should this area be zoned for this? Should this area be zoned for that? City council makes that decision. So should planners, I mean, it's, it, it's difficult because again, planners have such, uh, uh, I guess they have an idea of what they want to do. But at the end of the day, it's the politicians. And oftentimes it's these people who are living in these um, strong neighborhoods, these yellow belt sort of neighborhoods that influence the politicians to say no we don't want we don't want this type of housing we don't want this type of uh, uh, uh we don't want these developments we don't want these people in our neighborhood and the reason that those people influencing politicians is crucial is because the harsh reality of politics is that for most politicians the vast majority i want to speak for all but the vast majority of politicians the primary goal is re-election and if it's not making your constituents their voting constituents in this case the yellow belt happy you're not going to get reelected. Yeah. And so what that ignores is a lot of the issues where what it happens, I want to say what inherently happens is that issues that have we were talking about wealth over generations and how home ownership creates wealth over generations and how home ownership creates property taxes which feeds the education system and has just a, home ownership has a lot of benefits in neighborhoods in a lot of ways it helps the quality of life of the neighborhoods. But but it's not a one generation solve. Do you know what I'm saying? And yeah, so, and so from a politician's perspective, if it's not an issue I can fix in this term to get me votes for next term, is it worth my time? Is it worth me solving issues for generations, two, three generations from now, making that world better, if the people that are voting for me are only concerned about issues that affect the here and the now? Yes, yes. And that's and that's one big issue. I, I would definitely agree with you. That's one big issue in uh, in Toronto. There's actually an interesting book about it. Um, it's called Planning Politics in Toronto, I think. 
I, I think it's by a guy named Aaron Moore, but I might be I might be wrong. That was but, crazy recall. You didn't even hesitate there. That's no, it, it's it's because it's, it's, it's. I'm gonna fact no, check. No, you, should, you should check that out. You should check that out. Um, Let's turn it over to our intern now. Please, <laughs> please. Our intern is me. But it's it, that that is definitely an interesting. Uh, it's it's an interesting take because per- planning politics of Toronto by Aaron. Oh, Moore. I thought so. Yeah. No, that, that's a, that's a that's a book that. Wait, you just said you weren't sure. Now you're like, oh, I thought so. Uh, I knew no, that joking, all along. But that, <laughs> that that book is really interesting because it speaks to a lot of the politics in regards to Toronto, especially with the the idea that these guys they just want to get reelected and the influence that they have, the influence that their that other people have on them is 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 pretty prevalent. You can see it in their decision making and in in, in in sort of the policies that they take up for issues like housing and, and equity in, in, in the city of Toronto. And uh, Shay uh, was mentioning to me that you guys had talked about this recently, and, and I brought up the point of, like, uh, the longer terms doesn't necessarily give you access to solutions if the system is still set up where uh, privilege wins. Um, so if you get somebody in power for longer, let's say eight years, if we were just to pick a number, right. then that person of privilege may not necessarily have the perspective of the importance of change and like what needs to be radicalized to make lasting change that is sustainable that brings us more equal. Yeah. So then I made a point where I was like, really, I feel like the root problem is like the lack of diversification in politics and diversification of experiences in politics. Like you're taking the initiative, Mike, to like dedicate your life and your education because of your experience and then you want to make a change Mm -hmm. so it's like i want more people who say i want to dedicate my life to make change because of my experience and and i'm going to go out of my way to educate myself because like i can't just run for city council based on like nothing for context based the 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 term thing the longer term thing that he was talking about is that to address the issue of politicians not not necessarily not all politicians caring about future generations the impact and the ramifications of current day policy decisions on future generations as is seen with the redlining situation. my In that discussion, I had made an offhand suggestion that, hey, maybe extending the term that somebody stays in office will encourage them to look at longer-term decisions, and Danny made that great point that she just mentioned. It's very much true that while Canada is a very, very multicultural and a very, very diverse country, that diversity is not reflected in the candidates that represent those constituents. Mm-hmm. That diversity is not reflected in our government and in the people working in our government. Oh, yes. But I want to say that it's not necessarily diversity. I think it's a factor. I definitely think greater representation will help bring attention to more issues so it's not just one angry black person or one angry brown person in a room yelling to represent the yeah, entire population. I, I agree with that, and I think that will help. Um but I think the bigger issue for me... Go ahead, sorry, go ahead. I just feel like that was just simplifying my argument a little bit, but it's, yeah, but no, it's okay. Then I, I, wanna, I want you to finish your thought. Yeah, and then please correct me for my oversimplification, but uh, what I was getting at is that I think the key is good candidates. And I I risk sounding like I'm really coming down on a lot of the people in, a pol- in, in politics today, but I am. But I think honestly to be... to I think honestly that that starts... There's something even deeper than that. I think I think it starts with engagement. You know, we have yeah. to talk about we have to talk about these communities being engaged. You know, in the case of Toronto, um, homeowners are very engaged in, in municipal politics because it hits their checkbook. And you see your property taxes at action. Those who live in the na- in the apartment buildings and oftentimes they're 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 the racialized people. 
uh, from marginal marginalized communities who are living in these apartment blocks, who are living in these high density areas, they don't necessarily see the city of Toronto on their on their checkbook. You know, they pay their rent and the property taxes are embedded in that, but it's not as explicit as you owning a home. I think engagement is a huge, huge issue. I personally think that if we have more people engaged from these communities, then we will get better representation. But at the same time, the politicians that are in power today will sort of hear the opinions better from us. Because right now it's not, we don't, we don't have the engagement that other communities have. Um, right. in, in, at least in the Toronto context, not, not yet. Um, sorry, I walked away. Uh, can I, I, I want to give you a chance to correct Yeah, that. I do want to come back to that. I'm wondering if we could take a quick break Yeah. to like, just refill my glass with a, yeah. a beverage and yeah. breathe for a second. Sure. So, um, what I was gonna say, can I, do you mind if I jump on the bandwagon of correcting you? Yeah, so picking up where we <laughs> left off, you're about to correct me on my over. Or not correct you, but just sort of, when I said diversification, okay. I don't mean in terms of, like, minorities and, like, let's throw a quota in there and get a bunch of people of color. I'm definitely not saying that. I meant diversification and experience. And so that goes to your point of saying quality of candidates, which I know I've, I don't know if it's comedian or a politician. And again, I'm so bad at citing my sources. So, like, don't expect that from me as a, as a co-host of this podcast. <laughs> Um, but I remember hearing, like, the the people you want as politicians never go into politics because they're, they're like, I don't have time for that. Like, fuck that shit. Like, yeah. it's, it's already so corrupt. It's so messed up. It's, like, just drama, 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 and no one wants to make real change. Like, could we not talk about taxes when no one really understands taxes? Which is interesting also that you mentioned taxes because from a, from a perspective of people that are in accounting, nobody cares about that. Like, taxes are considered, like, you just deal with it. You, whatever it is, you just take it. Yeah. If you but think that you're going to have a country that, like, is successful and not have taxes, it's such a, go it's, away. It's hilarious because, again, like, we, 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 we have been conditioned so much with taxes. Like, you, we, we do finance, for example. Right now, even studying for, the, for this test that we're doing, you know, taxes, uh, it's, this is the rate, that's it. This is the rate. That's it. Yeah, you just, you plug it. It's a you plug never number. in a case you never you never say oh let's you never take a strategy of arguing with the politicians to haggle for less taxes. You know, oh, I, you you never say that the political climate might change and the taxes are going to fluctuate. Hey, I mean, it depends. If you want to get that C plus, maybe you might. <laughs> maybe you might. That C with D. If you C know with I mean. D. C with D. But yeah, just generally, I mean, that's one thing that I I I I think I took away from my experience in that. You know, taxes are important, definitely. But I worked in I worked in the government. I worked for the CRA, and I mean, you need these revenues to be able to have a functioning society. You just totally. do, and the amount of the the, the the lengths that people will go to um to just yeah, I'll, the, the tax avoidance is one issue, but to not accept the fact that we need these funds yeah. to to build to build our to build our our country, our province. And our cities, it's 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 very, very interesting. I think I've said this to both of you at different times. Having seen the infrastructure, namely having been to India and a couple other countries, I will never in my life complain about any tax no. rate associated with any third uh, sorry, first world country that I'm ever living in because I know the difference between what my quality of life as a result of those taxes that I pay. Yes. And before we go any further, I want to take a second to acknowledge yeah, I misunderstood what you were saying. And I think what you're saying is very right, is that the people who we feel are qualified and the people who really should be in office aren't in office and aren't running for politics. 
I want to say that comes from just the passion I have for making change. And and I didn't actually say this, but it's interesting that we talked about the housing market. So I hope I don't mind. I hope you don't mind me throwing in this story. But like, I grew up in Uxbridge, that is a very wealthy city, like mansions everywhere. Um, and my mom rented an apartment. And when we moved to Uxbridge, we lived with my aunt and uncle because she had just um, got divorced. Like my dad left her. And she had put all of her savings into the house they bought, and um, and she lost all of her savings. Wow, and God. then we moved into my aunt and uncle's because she needed to go live with family. She couldn't afford. She had a new. I was three. She had a daughter. She had to support. She her husband just left her. Like she had nothing. And so we moved into my aunt and uncle's. We lived there for a year or two until she had enough to function. And then she was like, "Okay, well, I can't buy mm-hmm. again, so I have to rent." Um, and like hearing her talk about um and hearing her talk about then trying to find a rental property in a suburban town was so challenging yeah, forget and everything was so rough and dirty and gross because yeah. like there was no uh that wasn't a community in terms of like zoning like that didn't exist no. like it was like above shops in stores and stuff yeah. so like currently my mom still lives there like we live above a store That's and crazy. so she is like she had she carries oh, like a, a decent amount of shame especially because like i played sports and so she grew up with moms in the community where they were in mansions yeah and the so like, moms. yeah and so like and and hearing that sort of like theme in the household of like oh like this is weird to live above a store in a rental property in a town that's like just rich people was such a weird thing and I never personally felt shame about it that energy from her like I wasn't sure how to approach it and then like coming out of that town and then seeing like the experiences I've gone through since then like I just want to make change and I and I like like I didn't have the crazy rich upbringing of what I saw all around me like people were driving Escalades and Hummers to school to high school like and I like I'm walking from my apartment but like I wouldn't change it for the world like it influenced so much of how I've like dedicated my life to helping others and helping the underdog and like I want I I don't want people to go through the suffering I went through but if they do have to because of their environment I want to support them in a way that's like emotionally there for them and and telling them like you don't have to feel the shame or this resentment to the world like you can just dedicate your life to change yeah so like that's a big part of how I've grown up and so like when I say diversification in 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 positions that influence change like those I want people who have gone through shit and like want to make change. Yeah. I don't want the people who grew up in those mansions because their dad handed them the down payment and like their first couple mortgage payments because they already have owned their house for twenty years. Because again, generational yeah. uh, wealth is a thing. Yeah. No, that's 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 an interesting story because to be honest with you, that's 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 kind of similar as to why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, when I grew up, um, Scarborough was interesting in that I I, I realized very quickly that you have these apartment blocks and you have these areas that tend to be quite neglected um but not far away from them are neighborhoods with some nice houses Mm -hmm. really nice houses and i can specifically think of one bridge in uh in scarborough on lawrence avenue east of morningside and morningside and lawrence uh is an area that has a lot of low-income people and it's actually the major intersection closest to the site of one of Toronto's largest mass shootings, which is which is another interesting thing in that the Toronto Danforth, we just had a shooting uh, on Danforth 
just about a month ago mm-hmm. um, and that that was such a huge shock to, to Torontonians but there were 25 people shot uh, or something like that shot um, in Galloway sorry in the Kingston Galloway Orton Park neighborhood of Toronto of Scarborough two people were killed 20 plus people were injured and it didn't have the same outrage of wow like you know look at what look at what's happening it's it, it's more so a discussion of wow well, look look at these people look at these thugs mm-hmm. look at these gangsters what's happening with this neighborhood but irrespective of that there there's a there's a bridge that's east of that neighborhood and you pass that bridge and it's almost like you're in a new town because it's all these these huge houses huge lots um you know neighborhoods that don't even have sidewalks on the street which means that it's kind of not inviting for I'm I'm pretty proud of where I grew up and and the, and the lessons and the experiences I had even though for a long time I really dreamt of moving to the suburbs and having that house that I never had but my friends might have had my my teammates mm-hmm. my soccer teammates might have had or my cousins might have had um but nowadays I think to myself man like I I I I would never change the experience of growing up in Scarborough growing up growing up in a a, a vertical community uh, for the world because I'm equipped with so many things that uh, I, I think I guess more so sort of the vision or some of the things that I see that hopefully can can enact some good change uh, in 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 our city going forward that's so, amazing yeah I, I feel like we haven't really acknowledged it enough but like I am just very appreciative of your dedication to the world and your participation and it. it's just it's amazing and congratulations on all that you've accomplished yes. so far uh, well you got to keep on going right it's and that that speaks to everybody i mean even people who grew up in suburbs people who grew up in these communities they may also have a perspective that can that can be fruitful as well you know i i i don't think that we should make it sort of a a discussion of low income versus high income or or, or you know downtown versus suburbs because we can't the, the divisive the divisive politics is it's not good and the divisive discussion is not good i think at the end of the day we have to work together and um one thing is that if we can if we can i guess inform people that that live in these communities that may not necessarily see the effects of their sort of sort of their their sentiment that you know we need to keep taxes low we need to keep mm. property taxes low that you know what they're doing neglects other people and for the whole makes the whole city worse off you know if we can inform people that you know they have a lot of power in righting all these wrongs that we have then i think that we can i I think that we can make some progress but that's easier said than done of course um especially in in today's political climate and it and it also I, i know i've said this a lot especially lately with the political climate of today that allies are extremely powerful i know ashay you've said that sentence too of like we need people who are in those positions of privilege to take some responsibility and say like i also need to participate in the solution like yes i'm uh, rambling on about diversification of people in power but like the system is still the system so people of privilege don't recognize their privilege and say hey i'm also going to be a part of the solution and make change and dedicate my life to this like Mm -hmm. i don't know if we're gonna see that idyllic world that we're all preaching about exactly exactly 
I, I'm I'm not sure. I feel like we could talk about this um, for three hours and ebb and flow. And so I'm just like, how how do we close podcasts where we're fucking small talk and um, we just don't want to stop. We don't we, we don't want to stop talking about things that are really cool and make a lot of impact in the world. I, I don't know how to close them other than saying um, I don't think this conversation is over and I don't think that this will be the last conversation the three of us have maybe Michael will be back for another podcast yeah, that'd be cool if you guys invite me back I'll be back don't yes. don't worry about it I, for now go ahead. I was going to say for now I, I think I think what we need to say is thank you uh, for talking to us about those yeah, no experience. you're one of the most well spoken people I've uh, ever had the privilege of talking to so thank you for coming and sharing that with all of our listeners uh, thank you so much yeah no problem I also okay I don't I keep wanting to like start segments on this podcast because segments are a huge part of the podcast that I listen to and so I wonder if we say like a word or a phrase a word or a phrase but I was trying to think of a sentence I was going to say like a word or a phrase to somebody who like thinks they can't make a difference in the world to people who are trying to make a difference like what could we tell that person but I don't know if that's too heavy. That's a way I didn't also didn't understand what you're asking. Okay, so we tell we're people who are trying to make change. Yeah. And so if somebody thought in their world, I'm just one person, how can I make a difference? What is something as like a mentor to them, the one word or phrase we would give them? Oh damn. And I know that's really I, I, that's really heavy, that's but big, but everybody big. reacted the same way to the tattoo one when I was yeah, <laughs> and then we all said really profound stuff. So, so I'm like, like, I don't know. If I, it's not broken, don't fall. If it's not broken, I, don't fix it. I want to say something. I like the I like this segment. I like the fact that we do this at the end. Can we name the segment? Can yes. we do that on air? I'm gonna riff, and some of them are oh, gonna be very it. bad. I love your riffs. Oh, okay. I'm going off super summaries. I don't hate it. Do you really not hate it? I thought it was... Summaries. Little... Wow. I have <laughs> a lot of pressure to cut Mike, these out. No, man. but like, Mike, Mike you're getting... Super I'm, summaries. I'm, that sounds kind of corny. You, you've, been, you've been on me about being corny. Yeah, because it's like a summary corny. on steroids, so it's super, because it's, it's super only summary. one phrase or word. I would say to somebody who might think that, um, just dive in. Just get involved. Um, there are a lot more outlets to... to or there's a lot more avenues for people to get involved the problem is that maybe you might think that there's a barrier to getting involved maybe you might think there's a barrier to getting engaged um and those things do need to be broken down but i can say that even just as of last year around this time i was not engaged in a lot of the things that i'm engaged in now Mm. and all it takes is just getting involved going to that go to that uh planning meeting in your neighborhood go to um a debate you know it's it's a municipal election this year go to a debate help out a counselor um, and read. Read a lot on the things that are going on in your neighborhood, going on in your city, going on in your province, going on in your country, and uh, take the time to be informed for yourself. That's what I would say. Amazing. That was brilliant. Thank you. Do you have yours? Because I have mine. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Mine is to actively listen. So that's been a tool for me um, that's proven really, really powerful to learn from experiences that I know very little about and that I've put myself in situations that I don't know the experiences of anybody around me and I just say hey like what's your story and then I just pull up a chair and I just actively listen Mm. and I just think that's a super powerful tool where you end up making change because you like give them a platform to tell their story But then you also learn and take away things that you can then go to like another group and say, hey, like I heard this story, like what do you think? And it's just, it's become a web in my life of like, I can no longer 
not listen to people and like then take that story and move with it. It's just, reflect on it. Think about oh, it. Oh, it's just Let huge. It, it's people, people have awesome stories, and it, all we need to do is take the time to listen to them. <laughs> all we need to do is take the time to listen. No, totally I totally agree. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So your your challenge of coming with a phrase um, is hard for me since okay. I am okay. not a concise human being. <laughs> Yeah, but did you hear our explanations? They weren't concise. So, okay, <laughs> we said we said just, one word and then we yeah, just went off. Come up with like a free combo. Okay, like, why am I doing your job? This, <laughs> is, you, this is your job. No, I'm saying I'm saying it's hard for me because I have two and they're two oh, very different. Okay, two. then just say it's your, it's your two very different ones. It's your, it's it's our, your podcast. It's our yeah. Podcast. Oh yeah. We get to we can make, make the rules. Yeah, you can do. Yeah. Right, right. So I have two. The first one is um, the first one is my lesser well formed of the two ideas, and it, it's it's. Don't stop learning and don't stop talking. And so I say that because I, someone who is on that track of I w- wanting to make change in the world, mm-hmm. and someone who's already motivated and feels the need to make change, that's great, right? Yeah. But anybody, anytime change is being made, there's barriers, there's hurdles, there's people, there's obstacles, there's things that are happening. I sincerely believe any obstacle can be overcome through, through perseverance and through learning. Mm. And so don't stop learning. And then also my second point of don't stop talking ties into the second overall thing I want to say is the power of one. And I say don't stop talking because I think that we need more leaders. We need more people who feel empowered to make a change. And and I think your question was kind of get along the lines of someone who feels like they don't know what to do with, with this, this desire to do something. The power of one is something that I believe in in that, in that if you are the one, if you are a person that feels motivated to make a change, empowered to make a change, and you're learning and you're listening and you're talking and you're sharing your message, you're sharing your empowerment, you're sharing that knowledge that you're gaining, you're sharing your perspective and, you're, and tying into yours, you're listening to other people's perspective, the power you gain in terms of your ability to affect change is immense. Imagine, and this is not relatable at all, but imagine if Martin Luther King, imagine if Mohandas Gandhi, imagine if all these other people were like, oh, I want to make a change, but I just, I'm just one person, like, what am I going to do? Imagine how different the world would be today. To make that more relatable, imagine if one, every person in the world every, that feels motivated to make change just talked and shared their point of view and started some thinking in one other person. The power of one, I think, is such an immensely powerful concept that I think that people underestimate the power of themselves. And so there's my two. Is that don't stop That's learning, good. don't stop talking, and don't underestimate the power of one. I like that. I like that too. Yeah. Great summary. Yeah. Even so. though it was like a five-page essay. Hi, <laughs> 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 dog. Once again, just to reiterate what Ashay said, thank you so much, Mike, for joining us. No and uh, helping us fuck small talk. So before we wrap up the episode, we wanted to give a big thank you to our lovely and talented friend Ada for the musical considerations. She's an amazing up-and-coming independent recording artist specializing in R&B, pop, and funk. She's available for collabs and shows, so if you liked what you heard, simply hit her up on Instagram, at AdaSoLive. That's at A-I-D-A-SoLive. If you want to hear more of her stuff, you can find her at soundcloud.com forward slash AdaSoLive. That's soundcloud.com forward slash A-I-D-A so live. She's amazing, so definitely go check her out. A big thank you also goes out to Lonnie for producing the awesome track you heard. He is an R&B and hip-hop producer who's worked with major artists, including Drake, Beyonce, and Lil Wayne. He's available to work with at his Toronto studio, so if you're interested, simply check him out on Instagram at Toronto. That's at Toronto. 
So again, big thank you to Ada and Lonnie. This podcast was brought to you by us. And also beer. And also coffee. Because what is sleep even? Also, hi mom. Love you.